Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Back to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Walt Morgan. He's a professional integral coach who partners with clients from all walks of life to achieve the personal and professional developmental goals that are most important to them. He served in the U.S. Navy for 23 years as a helicopter pilot and retired at the rank of commander. He has also been an associate professor teaching leadership and management and an in-house leadership consultant coach and facilitator for a Fortune 200 healthcare company. Hello, Walt, and welcome to Back to Basics. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your continuing conversation, Leticia. And I also want to thank you for all of the important work that you do around leadership and connection. Because it's it's the podcast, but it is so much more. You are out there sharing an important message. So I'm really grateful for that. Oh, I'm moved by that. Thank you, Walter. Well, thank you for being here. I think it's it's part of finding your tribe. And one of the, my favorite things through the podcast is not only connecting amazing guests like you with the audience, but myself, sometimes I feel a little bit like, I, I shouldn't feel so good about it. It's almost like selfish, you know, because I love every conversation so much. And I mean, when I have a guest like you, just we haven't even started, but when you hear about your journey, it's just interesting just by reading it. So I definitely want to know if um, anybody that I see that becomes a helicopter pilot for the Navy must have dreamt about it as a little kid. Is that how it happened? Tell me what were you passionate about as a young boy? What a wonderful question. When I was five years old, uh, my kindergarten teacher, Miss Burka, asked us to draw a picture of what we wanted to do when we grew up. And I drew a picture of a helicopter and she helped me write the words, I want to be a helicopter pilot. And my mom framed it and it still hangs on the wall of my childhood home on a rural ranch in Oregon. So somewhere in kindergarten, this vision came alive and then became fulfilled as well. Mm, did you have anybody in the Navy at that time or was it just a little bit out of the blue painting? Because my, my son has written, I want to be a Formula One pilot and all that, but I don't see any inclination so far <laughs> to fulfill those dreams. So give him time. And the opportunities present themselves in funny ways. I wasn't specific about how I wanted to be a helicopter pilot, only that I wanted to be one. And the United States Navy was kind enough, or I should say the taxpayers were kind enough to send me to university when I graduated from high school on a Navy scholarship, which meant that when I did graduate, I commissioned as an officer in the United States Navy and, and I chose to go to flight school. And that's where that opportunity became real for me. 
Mm, I love, I love how you speak. You're my kind of, you know, guest in the sense that I appreciate gratitude every time I hear it. And normally when you hear taxpayers, uh, doesn't often come with <laughs> something related to gratitude. It's like, these are my tax dollars and, <laughs> and you're taking advantage of them. So I love the fact that you recognize also that. That's fantastic. And so anything you want to share? I mean, you obviously had a long career flying, which I guess is your passion still, I imagine. But anything about those 23 years before you became a coach and all that that we're going to speak about and how you help people. But anything about the that Navy career that you want to highlight? Any Anything that has been helpful or that you, stays with you even now? So that period of time is characterized very much by fun for me. It was a really fun, fun time, exciting time. And sometimes when people thank me for my service, I feel sheepish about that. Did I sacrifice? Yes, in some ways I did. Um, I left period for ex family for extended periods of time. I did long five long tours and designated combat zones over over my career. Um, so there was a little sacrifice there. And I did raise my ha right hand uh, specifically to take an oath to serve something larger than myself. So when people thank me for my service, I thank them for acknowledging that. But I feel sometimes a little bit of shame also. Sometimes I feel a lot of shame, if I'm being honest, because there are service members who have sacrificed so much. I mean, some that have sacrificed everything and their humanity, even those that return, their humanity may have been uh, torn or their moral fabric may have been challenged or dissolved. And, and for me, I loved flying so much. I loved the people that were part of that endeavor. The, the wonderful sailors that kept the aircraft flying, the amazing rescue swimmers that would always throw themselves in harm's way to save others. And then my peer pilots in the squadron who for all of their professional outward appearances were this wonderful assortment of, of oddballs, these, these amazing sisters and brothers of mine in, in these squadrons uh, working together to to get these missions done. So I'd say it was characterized by connection and belonging. I felt very much at home in those Navy squadrons. And it was characterized by fun. I got to go around the world. I got to fly helicopters. I got to fly helicopters off of ships. And I had almost cautioned that it was too much fun in the sense that as I look back on that time, I would say I didn't have as deep a sense of service as I have now. Like we call it military service and I was a service member. And in any individual serving in the military, there is some balance of the self and the service. And it's different for everyone. And I met some, some people who were truly, truly in it for the service, to serve, to serve others, to serve something larger. For me, um, I look back on it a little sheepishly and say maybe it was a bit more about self. And I and and I do, you know, I, I performed my role and I did my job well, I like to think. Because I look at my intentions, 
man, I was really having fun <laughs> and, and I enjoyed it. I can see that, but I'm, I mean, you are the coach here. I'm not no coach, but also in your defense, I think you probably were living your life from a full place of alignment with who you were or who you are. And it, that's why it was fun. But also, I mean, it has had to cross your mind. You were on danger, in danger, you know, and you were putting yourself in a position of danger. So I think the selfishness or the ego could not have been big in, in that case because you still were in danger and you were putting yourself in that situation. So I really think it feels fun because you were in true alignment, if, if you ask yeah. my opinion. I accept your framing on that, and I appreciate your framing. It was a place where I often said I was my best self, most capable self, most productive, most engaged self, and that did contribute to the fun. Yeah. So thank you. Thank awesome. you for that offer. I accept it. Well, it's just that's how it came to me, you know, and, and I really think, you know, because even the as somebody that's uh, selfish, when they think like, oh, my God, I, I may die. You know, I don't know how much you like flying, but if it's not really, you know, something that you're passionate about and service is not in your fabric, I, I don't think you have been there. But in any case, so you 23 years go by and you were having lots of fun. Time to retire came. Was that an easy decision? Could you have stayed and then you decided to, you know, do something else other than flying? So I'm sure that that whole process, I'm sure there's a lot that we can unpack there and that maybe can help others that are in that same situation where they've had a fulfilling career and the time has come to do something different and they just mm -hmm. don't know how to go about it, about it. There's a lot in that question. And one, I could have stayed longer. And I chose not to. I felt that, you know, the flying, the flying was probably done. And the work that remained felt like it could have been fulfilled by anybody, right? I didn't feel like I brought anything special or unique to the rest of my career. But there's something else that was happening there. Um, I was very, very fortunate in my final four years of military service to be an associate professor at the University of Colorado. So the Navy sent me to Boulder to be a professor and teach leadership at the university. And in that process, I discovered a real love in, in the exploration of leadership. Up to that point, I thought I had leadership pretty much figured out, right? Like, look, mm -hmm. I had been designated in a role to, to, lead people or supervise people or manage people, depending on the context of the day. And I felt like I had fulfilled that role well and done my job and had mission success and, and job success. So what else was there to know about leadership? And what I discovered during those four years as a professor, as I learned with my students and explored leadership with my students, was my understanding of what leadership is and was, was fundamentally limited. And so I would say that four years of, of teaching leadership at the university, and by the way, I still teach, I, I still teach mm -hmm. leadership mm -hmm. at the university, oh, but just like looking at those first four years when I was still employed in the Navy, when I was still active duty, it was such a steep period of growth cognitively for my understanding around leadership. And I found such, such joy and joining others in their own personal leadership growth, that when I did decide to retire, I was very much at a crossroads. 
on one hand, I could have gone into the airlines, which is where many of my squadron mates are now. I could have gone into defense contracting, where many others are. But I felt a calling. I felt a nudge. I felt something saying to me that my role my, and my future was something in leadership development. So I made a very conscious decision. I listened, one, and then made a conscious decision to pursue that. And I branded myself on my resume, leadership development specialist, and then sent it out to everyone and and waited with bated breath for those replies that were a little bit slow to come, right? (laughs) But eventually, eventually somebody took a chance on me. Mm, I love I love everything you've said, especially where you say I listened because, you know, it takes us say, OK, you listen to whom? Because nobody was telling you, but you say something inside of me was telling me I got a nudge. I got a calling. And, and I think that's where a lot of us struggle, where we minimize that nudge, where we minimize that voice and we kind of try to put it on the side. And uh, sometimes, you know, you listen and you make conscious decisions like you did, and then you make smart moves, which is you branded, you know, whatever the voice was telling you, mm-hmm. and here you are. But sometimes, you know, I don't know, and now you're the coach. How sometimes do we miss that nudge? Do you think that's part of the problem sometimes when we cannot live our, be- our better life by because we ignore that nudge? That's the big question. We often, I think, well, I'll speak from the eye. In my life, I've missed the nudge, I suspect, many times because I wasn't open to it. I wasn't listening. I wouldn't allow myself to listen. I didn't know how to listen. I didn't feel or recognize that connection or seek that guidance. So one, I just simply wasn't listening. And if I did hear it, and if it felt misaligned with either what I thought I wanted or others were telling me I wanted, then I certainly wasn't going to listen. You know, I would dismiss it or laugh it off if I, in fact, did hear it. So what's changed for me now is I'm very intentional around just carving out time in my life to be in the quiet, away from my phone, away from my computer, and just to feel what I feel and hear what I hear with with faith and with trust that the truth, whatever that truth is, will will surface and be useful to me and, and to guide me. But I would say that that time with my career was one of the first times I ever actually heard and listened to something bigger. Mm-hmm. That's, that resonates a lot to, to like find the quiet. So silence the noise of the outer world so that the noise of the inner world can come to life. And uh, did you ever feel like crazy, like of people, because I'm sure that with the career you had, and then maybe making these transitions, you had a lot of people saying, are you crazy? And and you said uh, some of, of your uh, team members went and do other things. Uh, how do we deal with like feeling crazy, but still hearing the inner voice and, and, and paddling through that? We could probably bring my wife in to answer that question also, (laughs) because she might have been the voice of, hey, Mm -hmm. does this make really make sense here? And 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 she has been supportive the entire way. And there have been times where she's like, What are you doing? And 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 for me too, right? 
you know, the family, um, of course, is important. And there are practical aspects of our life. And when there is a path that feels paved and reasonably accessible, and here I, uh, here I was for a long time, kind of pushing my way through the thorns and the bushes. Like, what am I doing? Is this really the right thing? And if doubts did arise, and they did, they were very, very quick to go. Like I have, I have had for years now a, a certain internal reassurance that I can feel that this is the right thing. This is what I was called to do. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, and that can calm that those doubts when they kind of rear their head. That can calm them pretty quickly. A reminder: mm. Yes, this is how I, this is how I serve now. And this is the right thing. This is what I feel called to do. And I see the power of the work that I do and the importance of the work that I do every day. Mm, that's powerful. So so you are an inter, in, integral coach. Is that how you say? Integral yes. Yes. Coach. So uh, why the, for those of us that are maybe not familiar with, with that term, why, why don't you share, if you would, uh, what is it and how is it different than other forms of coaching? Okay, so I'm going to gush about integral coaching as a methodology for just a few minutes here because, as I like to say, it is the most perfect thing that I have ever found. It's this wonderful, wonderful way in coaching to deeply see another person to understand that person, to appreciate that person, to recognize what's important to them and to support them in, in getting there, right? It's, it's, it, it, so, and, and that can be said about coaching in general. There are many, many wonderful coaches whom I admire who are not integral coaches. But this methodology for me is the most perfect thing. And it was pioneered in Canada. Um, by two just wonderful, wonderful women, uh, Laura Devine and Joanne Hunt. And they looked at the body of work of Ken Wilbur. And some of your audience members might be familiar with integral theory and, and Ken Wilbur's uh, synthesis of knowledge and his framework for understanding all things in an inclusive way. So from this idea of integral theory, from the work of integral theory, Joanne and Laura took their wealth of knowledge around coaching and wove them together into this amazingly thoughtful approach to coaching. And, and it's so interesting to me. This is one of the things I love about integral coaching. One, I've never had two clients or any client that's had a similar program. Every single program, every single coaching journey, every single coaching engagement is so unique to that individual. It's just so perfect for them. And I sometimes talk to coaches and my sense is that they feel lost in their coaching, that they're kind of throwing stuff against the wall. And, and this isn't all coaches, but this is something that might show up sometimes. This sense in coaching of feeling a little bit lost. And I would say I've never felt lost 
as a as an integral coach. It feels like we are always the client and I are always exactly where we're supposed to be together in this process. And that is just unfolding just in front of us and and leading us to this to this transformational outcome. So that's that doesn't get too much into the methodology, maybe just a few more things I could say about it without getting into the weeds. It's very metaphor-based, so we rely heavily on understanding a metaphor, describing a metaphor, creating a metaphor that represents how they currently are showing up in in this topic that's so important to them, and then also creating a more aspirational metaphor that's representative of how they would like to be in that topic that's so important to them. In very, in very, very, very simple terms, the coaching program then becomes a journey from one metaphor to another, constantly illuminating the beliefs that are underneath the behaviors and understanding what is driving this tendency to show up this way and how can that be transcended to truly embrace a new belief system to rewire that belief system so that they can show up in a new way with choice and remove those limitations in their life. So that is what, I, I guess, in simple terms, what integral coaching is for me. Mm, no, well, I'm making tons of notes, illuminating the beliefs that are underneath the behavior. That to me is uh, is gold. It's a nugget of wisdom and gold that I'm taking to myself here. And it's honestly really very interesting. And and of course, there's going to be, you know, the link to your page. And I love what you did. And for my audience out there, when Walt created and founded his coaching business, you called it something that was so close to your heart, translational lift coaching. Yes. And there is, you use a term that it's, uh, that relates back to your helicopter days. Mm-hmm. So what so is transla- translational lift? Translational lift is an, an aerodynamic phenomenon. So yes. what happens in helicopters is when we hover, our, our helicopter is sitting there in all of this disruptive air that we're creating. So this air is coming off of our, our rotor blades and it's, it's bumpy and inefficient to be in a hover because of this disruptive air that we're creating. So as we transition to forward flight in a helicopter, we start leaving that disrupted air behind us. And then suddenly, in a very pronounced way, we find ourselves in smooth air. And when we leave that disrupted air that we've created behind us, and we move into this fresh, clean, smooth air, there's this sudden surge of power because it's not as hot, it doesn't require as much power. It's, it, it's a more efficient place to be. There's a sudden surge of power and there's a smoothness and a cleanness and all of a sudden the aircraft just takes off. So translational lift is the phenomenon of leaving our disrupted air behind us and moving into to efficient flight. Mm. It's, uh, I find it really uh, fascinating. And I love that how you, again, with the metaphor, now that you explain what the whole philosophy is, uh, 
you know, can put two things into relationship and it's incredible. And I know you have when when I look into into your your webpage, one of the things that I love the most, you not only look, you know, coach individuals, but you coach teams, but also you coach veterans. And I think, mm-hmm. well, based on your background, I mean, I don't have a veteran in my family and I'm not from the United States, but that doesn't mean that I couldn't have. But, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about is it seems I've been the 27 years I've been here is veterans because I learned how much, you know, investment the government put into, you know, people to ship them out. And then when they return, I've learned through my own work in telecommunications where, you know, we're trying to bring and transition uh, military members into the telecom industry to provide them with, you know, good paying jobs with the jobs that are similar to what they're used to, because there used to be outdoors, there used to be, you know, and also kind of dif- difficult, um, you know, when you climb a tower, it's risky. So, you know, things that are very parallel and I've learned a lot about the veterans and their return. And so it's amazing that you even give discount services to to veterans. And, and if you want to say a little bit about that work you do with them, I think that's a particularly inspiring. I think a lot of the work I do with veterans is informed by two things. It's informed by, so I did three years in a Fortune 200 healthcare company that was invested in veterans. And so I I oversaw, directed, facilitated a program in which we would bring veterans from the company together in a room for three days. And we would have those conversations that veterans are really, I have observed, reluctant to have with people who aren't veterans. And I think it goes to this idea of empathy. Empathy is this idea of being able to connect with how we're feeling. And I think veterans often assume, and sometimes rightly, sometimes probably wrongly, veterans assume that nobody can connect with what they're feeling. So they don't even bother. Like, how Mm. can I share this, this experience of both connection and and threat, how can I share that experience with somebody who wasn't there or hasn't had something like that? And so I think in many cases, veterans don't share. But when they're in a room together, they share, we share quite readily and authentically and honestly. And there have been a lot of things that have come out of those conversations that feel really important around the veteran experience. And again, veterans aren't a monolithic thing. Every single veteran is different. They have a different background and a different service and a different role, and they are who they are, the unique individuals themselves. So I I don't want to in any way present veterans as a monolithic thing, but there is a shared experience also that that is noteworthy. And so that's one thing I, I, I base my veterans program on is my learnings from those programs and hearing from the veterans, but also from my own experience. When I retired, I thought I could do anything. I thought that the application of my diverse skill set would be valued anywhere in the civilian sector. And the Navy, speaking for the Navy, I kind of feel like there's this unstated belief in the Navy that any officer can do any job without any training. They just get thrown into stuff. You know, that's how I found myself, you know, a helicopter pilot as a professor at the University of Colorado. I had no training for that. That's how I found myself as an intelligence officer for NATO in Brussels. I had no training for that, but the Navy just kept throwing me in these, these situations. 
So I thought, okay, this is great. The civilian world will love that I can do anything. Mm -hmm. But what I found was when I got into the civilian workforce or tried to get into the civilian workforce, that everybody was looking for a really, really narrow strand of experience. There is a very specific way in, in the minds of a hiring manager to get to that job. And it was very unlikely that I would be able to exhibit that as a veteran. So for about five or six months, I really struggled to find that job. Even though I had that calling from the universe and branded myself as a leadership development specialist, like it wasn't, people weren't seeing me that way because I didn't have my master's or PhD in organizational psychology. And because I hadn't worked in HR for 10 years, because I hadn't done these things, they couldn't visualize me in that role that I could quite clearly see myself in. So as, as I coach veterans, one, the coaching program goes the way it goes, right? It's, it's just, it, it comes from in that individual. But the general framework that I offer is one, let's, let's make meaning around your service. What is, it can evolve over time, that's fine. But what is the story of your service? What did that mean? Why does it matter? And then we look at the things, those things that they learned as service members that really, really served them well in the military. This was something that I learned or could do or a way I behaved or showed up that really served me well but won't serve them anymore. Mm. And then we honor that and I invite them to let that go. And then we look at those areas, those things that they learned and the way they showed up and those behaviors from the military that served them really, really well and will continue to serve them. And we create a narrative around that, that, that it makes sense both to them and maybe to somebody else. but they're going to hold on to that, but they're going to recognize it. And making that distinction from the stuff that used to work that doesn't work anymore, the stuff that used to work and still works can be really important because if we don't separate those things, it can be a little confusing for us as we navigate new roles. And then the last thing we look at is where are the gaps? What is it that I should be able to do better? Mm -hmm. And what's my plan to get there? What's missing in what I offer in this next stage of my life? And it's very easy to frame this as a, as like a work-related thing, because honestly, mm -hmm. transitioning veterans are typically in a very practical way looking for jobs. Mm -hmm. Although they say they're looking for jobs, I suspect they're looking for an identity, but that's a, probably an entirely different conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, but what I'm saying is those things that we need in this next life might not be job related. What is it that, that we would like to be better at that allows us to show up and create the impact that we want to make through our life, where we are or where we're going right now? What is this new thing? And I would, speaking from the eye again, my own limitation was, well, I don't need anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. I've done it all. I've had great experiences. I'm a well-rounded individual. I'm there. We're never there. We're never there. In the, and the more intentional I am around my journey, the more aware I become 
of how much more opportunity there is for me to grow. And I truly believe that the growth that I engage in, the work that I do on myself, is also the work that I do for my clients and it's also the work that I do for others. So a, a, a little bit of this is possibly an invitation to, to veterans to also be intentional around their journey. Don't let their journey end with the military. It's really beginning from where they are right now. Very inspirational. Thank you for that. So, you know, obviously we, we don't, I could talk to you forever because I'm enjoying this. And that's one of the beauties of my podcast. I always tell my guests, but it's the truth. Like I could go in for a long time here, but you know, you help a lot of people. If anybody out there is listening to you, and I know that there's, you know, a lot of sometimes the same thought you share where we think, I don't need a coach. I don't, I, I can, I, you know, that's. I think there's a lot of stigma behind that in the sense of I don't need a coach. Who would you think would benefit the most and who would you, who do you like to serve the most in terms of your client? Like what's your ideal person to work with? And uh, if there's anybody out there that maybe has that itch to find a coach, but is kind of stuck, what can you share that maybe can resonate to say, you know, make it happen? Yeah. What I'm looking for in a client my ideal client is somebody who's willing to grow, and that is it. I, when I was starting a, 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 my business 40 years ago, everybody's, you know, I was told, I was given the advice, the well-intentioned advice again and again and again, you have to know exactly who your clients are. I have a friend, she's so good in business. She's such a talented photographer, and she's so talented in business, but she likes to say, I know exactly what kind of car my clients drive. I know what fonts they use. And I know within the first sentence of an email whether I'm going to take them on as a client or not. She knows exactly who their clients are. And I felt so sheepish. I'm like, I don't know my client's font. <laughs> what, what am I doing wrong here? Mm-hmm. And then I just realized I was, I was framing it wrong for me, for my business. It's almost like those, those rides at an amusement park that say you have to be this tall to ride this ride. For me, it's you have to be this willing to be coached. And as long as you're willing to be coached, I don't, I coach presidents of companies. I coach founders. I coach executives in the C-suite, vice presidents, directors, managers on the business side. I also coach people who just find me, who has nothing to do with work and they pay out of pocket, which by the way, are, are clients I absolutely love. And they're just on a journey and they feel stuck. They want to be able to do something better. But as long as that willingness to grow is there, one, I would invite anybody to pursue that willingness to grow. If you're feeling that, or if you're feeling stuck, or if you're feeling limited, or if you're feeling like you're not making the impact that you want to make through your life, particularly, and this is kind of a new passion for me, particularly young people. 20-year-olds, if you make this investment in your growth, if you make this investment in your leadership now in your 20s, it's like it's like investing. If you invest early, that will compound over time. If you invest in your leadership now, the impact over time will be so much greater on, on what you can create through your life. So that's my impassioned plea. And I get that coaching is expensive. And in some ways it's prohibitive. And um, I have certain elements of my business 
that are designed to address that. But ultimately, coaching is expensive. But if you asked any of my clients, for instance, or another coaching client, doesn't have to be mine, at the end of a coaching program, like, all right, you just spent a bunch of money on this. Would you rather have a new car or would you have rather have this new way of being that you're showing up in the world? And I think, I hope, I believe that 95% of them would rather have invested in coaching than in a car, than in a thing, right? They would, they benefit so much more from that investment in their own growth and development. Well, I go. I think it goes hand in hand with the willingness. Um, you know, somebody that's willing to be coach is also willing. I would hope to well, even it's come from truth. You know, especially if it's somebody that takes out of their own money, as you said, out of their own pocket. It's not the company paying for it, or there's somebody else paying for it. But you are deciding to make that investment in yourself. And I think we we can all agree there's no better person to invest on or thing to invest on that in mm. in yourself. So uh, I really thank you, Walt. I'm, you know, my always uh, have to ask my last question, which is when you feel that there's a disconnection with, with your own self, with your soul, what are the, what's the thing that makes you tick, that makes you reconnect yeah. with who you are? I spend a lot of time in nature. Nature can be anywhere I happen to live in a place in Boulder, Colorado that has tremendous access to nature. I spent spend a lot of time in the backcountry, like in, in designated wildernesses where I don't see other people for days. To me, when I'm in nature, when I can see the stars without light pollution at night, when I can be in that, but even if it's just a two-hour hike from my house, that's what it takes to recenter. Everything that seems so big at the beginning of that experience becomes small, and the things that are most important come to the surface when I spend time in the quiet without, again, my phone, without my computer. But when I'm, I spend time in the quiet, it all begins to make sense again. Mm, I love the word you use, recenter. So thank you for that, Walter. You've been certainly an inspiration for me. I felt like I had a coaching, a free coaching session with you. So I thank you for that. And the show notes will be, you know, your webpage and all the information. And, uh, you know, thank you again for being here. And to all of you out there, I hope you feel like me, just a little bit more inspired and growth and working on yourself. Until a new episode of Back to Basics. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.